Um, So thinking about the meaning of Easter, just as I've been reading this time of the year, it's important to be reminded that there's a hope that's found in the Easter story that we cannot find anywhere else. So some of the reading, some of the um, things that I've read that people have mentioned about Easter, an individual by the name of Floyd Tompkins said, let the resurrection joy lift us from the loneliness and weakness and despair to strength and beauty and happiness. Jeffrey Holland writes, he knows the way because he is the way. Joseph Worthing says, the resurrection is at the core of our beliefs as Christians. Without it, our faith is meaningless. Robert Flatt writes, the resurrection gives my life meaning and direction and the opportunity to start over no matter what my circumstances. Evan Sr. writes, Easter is the only time when it's perfectly safe to put all of your eggs in one basket. I like that. N.T. Wright, in his book, The Resurrection of the Son of God, spends 800 pages describing the uniqueness of the resurrection as we find it in Scripture. You know, there's other kind of resurrection stories out there in mythology, but they're so different than what we find in the Bible because um, they're they're talking about things that seem so otherworldly and so... Different. But in the Bible, we find a different description of the resurrection. We find that it happens in real history and that Jesus isn't just some otherworldly person, that he is fully man and the Son of God. And that all of the events of his life is, is that he lived the perfect life that we can't live. And he, he came to, to tell us about the Father and how much the Father loves us and then to heal and bless and, and show us the way. And then he went to the cross for us in order to pay for sin and died on that cross. And the cross would have been the end of the story if it weren't for Sunday morning. Even for the people of Jewish descent, the resurrection was controversial. The Pharisees believed in a resurrection, even though they couldn't fully explain it. The Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection. They were deeply divided, even about the possibility of a resurrection. Both were fully committed to denying any possibility of a resurrected Jesus. They were so fully committed to keeping Jesus in the tomb that Matthew tells us that they went to Pilate. It says that the day after the crucifixion, it's called the day after preparation day, the chief priests and the Pharisees went to the Pilate and said, Sir, we remember that while he was still alive, the deceiver said, that's Jesus that they're talking about, that the deceiver said, after three days, I will rise again. So give an order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal the body and tell people that he's been raised from the dead. This last deception will be worse than the first. The first that they're talking about is is him claiming to be the son of God. And so Pilate answered, take a guard, go and make the tomb as secure as you know how. And then it says, so they went and made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting a guard. The religious leaders obviously thought that the the disciples were more courageous than they were. The disciples were much less courageous in their own eyes 
The resurrection of Jesus was something that surprised them. We know that because Luke tells us, Luke tells us that the women went to the tomb to prepare Jesus' body for its final burial. The men were assuming that it was a done deal. Now, they likely all believed in a future resurrection of some kind. But a bodily resurrection wasn't even a thought in their minds. Luke tells us that on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and they went to the tomb. You don't take burial spices to a tomb if you're expecting it to be empty. Now, the first day of the week is Sunday. That's the day after the Sabbath. Now, that's hard for us to conceive because we see the first day of the week as being Monday. Like, Sunday is sad day because Monday's coming and we all got to go back to work, right? But we actually have it mixed up. Sunday is the first day of the week. The reason why most Christians worship on Sundays is because that's the day of the resurrection, the first day of the week. So we still recognize that there's a Sabbath day in Jewish history, but we worship on Sunday, resurrection day, the first day of the week. It's interesting because we find out in this passage that even the dead had to wait a day for final preparations to be made if if it happened over the Sabbath day. Everyone rested and the dead had to wait. Luke um, introduces us to the women. We don't know if there's an undertone of something there, but we could guess that maybe there was. Historically, preparing the dead was women's work. And from what we can understand, the disciples were laying low, fearing for their own safety, fearing to even be seen in public. And so the women went to the tomb. And they weren't prepared for what they saw. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, is what Luke tells us. Luke 24, verse 2. And then it says, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And then it says, while they were wondering about this. Now, wondering in the English is an interesting word because it makes me think of someone sitting at a desk with their you know, elbow on the desk and their um, chin in their hand, just kind of thinking, hmm, wonder what that's all about. But that's not actually what, if you looked at this in the original language, that's not the kind of wondering that's going on here. Is in the original language, it means perplexed with serious anxiety. To be at a loss, to be uncertain, to be anxious, to be in doubt. To say it another way is, is the women were undone. They did not know how to respond. They were so anxious that they were speechless. And then we're told that while 
They were in this state of anxiety. Two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. Now we know that they were angels. They didn't know that. They just knew that this wasn't what they were expecting. We're told that in their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, he is not here. Or first they said, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee? The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day, rise again. And then they remembered the words of Jesus. It shouldn't surprise us that the resurrection was announced in such an unconventional way. God kind of has a way of doing that over and over in Scripture. The first entrance of Jesus into the world was also unconventional. Announced to a teenage girl, a long-forgotten descendant of David, engaged but not married, who herself was wondering how a baby would come to her when it was physically impossible. And this time the angel again announces the unconventional and inconceivable to five women. And that day, women weren't allowed to testify in court, much less in the court of public opinion. But in God's providence, he chose to circumvent culture and bring these women into his confidence before any others, before even the disciples. He chose for them to bear the good news of the resurrection, knowing that at least to begin with, that no one would believe them. We know that no one believed them because we're told that when they came back from the tomb, Luke 24, verse 9, when they came back from the tomb, they told these things to the 11 and to all of the others. We, we have no idea how many all of the others includes, but there's the 11 um, remaining disciples, and then there's all of these others, and then the five women come in, and they begin to talk about what they'd seen. We're told that it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told the apostles, and here's, here's the response of the apostles. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. All four Gospels, though, tell us that women played a prominent role in the life of Jesus. That even though they're often unmentioned, that they were often traveling with and caring for the disciples in Jesus. They were following, they were telling, they were seeing, they were sharing, they were weeping, and they were waiting for the salvation of God. And in a lot of ways, it seems appropriate that God first revealed the resurrection to these women. You know, the Garden of Eden reminds us that the first woman, that the first woman was there in the garden when... When the world became undone, the child of Mary, announced to Mary, though, reminds us that God is always at work. 
And the Eden is also not the full story. God's redemptive plan was unfolded to Mary. And his final victory over death was first declared to this band of unremarkable women. And yet, the author Daniel Darling says, it's to this band of women that the resurrection is first proclaimed. And it's this band of women who discovered that the most important square footage in human history is the empty space that fills every human heart. And it's the reason why God comes in the person of Jesus. is because without him, there's a sense in which is our hearts are empty. That there is a wrongness to the world which we can also sense in our own lives. And that we can't do anything about that wrongness. We can't fix it ourselves. And so God comes to fix it for us. Now the Bible calls that wrongness sin. That, that turning away from God. And because of it, the Bible says that we're all spiritually dead. And that we can't experience life, a full life, until we acknowledge that God has done something for us that we can't do for ourselves. That he has taken that wrongness upon himself. And that he did it in the person of Jesus. And you know, you think about it is, is all of the stuff that we see that's going on in the world right now, I made the mistake last night of reading the news at 10 o'clock. It was depressing. Everything that's going on in the world, the amount of conflict, the wars, the rumors of wars. And yes, also the sickness and the death. All of that going on. Now that would be the story that we try to navigate our way through without hope if it weren't for the cross. But even the cross, even the cross would be the end of the story if it weren't for the tomb and the rest of the story. The women going to the tomb to prepare the body and finding the unexpected, the empty, and empty in a good way. And because that one tomb is empty, it speaks over all of the other graves in human history and says that the grave does not have the final word. It doesn't have the final word. God's redemptive grace shows us that the unexpected happens in an unexpected way, in an unexpected place. The place where death is found has become the first proclamation that resurrection life is real. 
The great reversal of reversals has happened. Eden has been redeemed. The tomb has been emptied, death declared dead, life expanded beyond every boundary, sin judged, history changed, a better story birthed. And that's exciting. And this Easter, we honor the witness of Easter by listening to the words that were proclaimed in that tomb. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4, it says, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. And it's by grace that you are saved. And then it says, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. So something has happened that we we aren't fully experiencing, but we know that it's true that even before a resurrection that God will bring in the future, that even before that, that spiritually it's saying is, is that we've been raised up We've been raised up with Christ and seated in heavenly realms. So we've been seated. When we put our faith in Jesus, we're seated in heavenly realms even before a final resurrection. Seated with him in heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in coming ages he may show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Now, in just a couple of minutes... We're going to get to celebrate baptisms. And this is really important. Baptism is a command for Christians. And as I was preparing this morning, I was thinking is is that there's no better picture of the empty tomb than a baptism. In fact, the reason why we do baptisms in the way that we do in this church and in in most of the Christian church is because it's actually a picture of death, our death. But it's a death to self. It's a a death to saying is, is I'm not going to do life my own way anymore. I've done that and it usually doesn't turn out so good. And so... I'm going to die to self knowing that I need God and I need his forgiveness. And so there's this picture that we have of us dying. So I'm going to take this off. A picture of us dying and in baptism, there's this picture of going under the water, dying. There's a verse that says, I've been crucified with Christ and it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God. And uh, in some places, I won't do this this morning because it's kind of weird, but in some places, when you go under, they say, I kill you in the name of Jesus and I raise you back to life again. (laughs) Now that's just weird, (laughs) but it's also kind of (laughs) fun, especially if you're the pastor. (laughs) 
but we're dying to self and we're being raised to life again. And so we're going to come and we're going to sing about a truth that's already true. It's called glorious day is, is that we've been raised, that we've, we've come out of the tomb uh, and we're raised to life again. And then in a few minutes, um, we're going to actually experience this baptism. And for those that are getting baptized is, is, man, we celebrate with you, but this is so good. But in Colossians 2.12, it says, having been buried with him in baptism, You're also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. There's an old hymn that says, buried with Christ and raised with him too. What is there left for me to do? Simply to cease from struggling and strife, simply to walk in the newness of life. And baptism is this newness of life. It's this way, I don't want to do things on my own. It doesn't mean that we're going to be sinless, but what it means is, is that we recognize that sin is not the story that we're supposed to live. That there's a newness of life and that we strive to live in that newness of life. So simply to walk in the newness of life, glory be to God. And then the hymn says, living with Christ who dieth no more, following Christ who goeth before. I am from bondage utterly freed, reckoning self as dead indeed. Glory be to God. Romans 6 4 says, we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of God the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we've been united with him in death like his, we certainly all shall shall be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. And if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once and for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Hey, we are excited about this. Is, is, uh, who, who should we? Come Just come on up. Yeah, everyone come on up. And uh... <laughs> All right. All right. So, hey, this is a really, um, this is really important. It's also really good, and it's good for us to celebrate this together. Um, it's not easy to do this, but it's um, good. And so, um, Landon, would it be okay if we start with you? Sure. Okay, come on up. So, we're going to have you go ahead and um, sit down. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for telling everyone. <laughs> We were going to surprise him, but I already told him, and you already told him. <laughs> and so, um, yeah. So, Landon, <laughs> yeah. I tell you what, feel free to sit down. You, you won't drown. <laughs> I promise. Um, Landon, um, you've put your faith in Jesus? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Get ready. <laughs> Landon. This is, this is real special. And so we're going to go ahead and baptize you. After we're done baptizing everyone, we'll um, pray together, okay? So, okay. You ready? Landon, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All right. <laughs> okay, Benny. And Ben, I'm going to let your dad do this. Okay. So Ben, why do you want to be baptized? 
He told me, don't ask that. Man, have you put your faith in Jesus? Do you want everybody to know about it? Say yeah. <laughs> so Ben, because of your faith, we baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Good job. All right. Come on over. We're going to let Dad come with you, too. So Dad might get his sleeves wet, but I bet you it's okay. <laughs> All right. You've put your faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins? Yeah. All right. Sounds good. Dad, do you want to do the honors? Okay. We baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All right. <laughs> All right, Cody. <laughs> we didn't build it for six foot, <laughs> six foot three guys or whatever, <laughs> but we're glad you kind of fit. So, Cody, you've put your faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. Yes. All right. So, Dad, we baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Paisley, have you put your faith in Jesus? All right. So because of your faith, we baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. (laughs) Feel free to just sit down. Yeah. This was fun. Sophie came the other night and said, is, is, she was going to wait till this summer. And then she said, is, is, no, I really feel like God's calling me to do this now. So, <laughs> Sophie, you've put your faith in Jesus. Yeah. All right. Sophie, we baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Kyle, would you um, start? You can start praying, and I'll close us in just a minute. Yeah, can we? Let's just stand together. Hand. Yeah, let's stand. So this is our opportunity to stand with those that have been baptized. It's our way of saying is, is that hey, we celebrate this with you. We're praying for you, and uh, and um, and just excited not only about your faith in Jesus, but also your declaration is is that the old is gone, the new has come. Jesus, today we celebrate. Uh, we celebrate you and your, your resurrection, Lord, but we celebrate new life. We celebrate uh, believers coming to obedience and just proclaiming in front of the world, man, we love and follow Jesus with all our hearts. So we thank you for each one of these. As a church, help us to continue to support and encourage and, and keep accountable, Lord, but today we just rejoice in the work that you do, the biggest miracle of all, and that's changed hearts and changed lives. So we love you, Jesus. And we just pray this in your name. All God's people said, Amen. amen. Father, thank you. We just give the day to you. Bless us, Lord, as we go in the name of Jesus. Amen.